0: Okay, so I want to tell you a story today, another story going back a long, 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 long time, back into the past, even mums and boys and girls, before your mums and dads were born, that far back. But before we do that, I need you to help me, and what do we we use to help our, our minds go back that far? What do we need? Stuart? Imagination cream. Imagination cream, that's correct, Stuart, thank you. So, get your right hand. Wave at me. That's it. Wave at people around the church. Get your thumb and forefinger of your right hand and dig deep into the recesses of your pocket. Okay, and you should find a little container looking like that. And get this container and put it in your other hand, your left hand. Hold on nice and tight. Under the lid, put the lid somewhere safe. And get out some of these, this cream and put it all over your face. Okay, don't get, forget behind your ears. That's the idea. And Get the lid, put it on nice and tight. And put it back into your pocket until next time. Because you've just applied imagination cream, and imagination cream helps you do what exactly? What does it help you do? Anyone know? Anyone know? Imagine, imagine. That's right. It helps us imagine. We're going to go back a long, long time, back into the time of the dinosaurs, to the Jurassic era, and we're going to hear it all about a dinosaur called. Penny. Now, Penny was a protoceratops, and Penny wasn't a happy dinosaur. In fact, it wasn't that she was ill or in pain or anything like that, because she was unhappy because Penny did not have a horn. Not the noisy kind you find on cars or bicycles, but the bony protrusion you often find on cows or goats. You see, Penny was a dinosaur, but she was well completely hornless, and to make things worse, all her friends—I mean, all her friends—they had horns, some big, some small. Didn't matter what type, as long as you had some kind of horn. But Penny was a protoceratops, and although she belonged to the family of ceratops, of horned dinosaurs, the protoceratops well, they were the first, and they had. No horn at all. She was totally hornless, so she could never blow her own horn, unlike Tony. If this situation wasn't bad enough, it was made worse by the teasing that she suffered from her so called friends. They all enjoyed taunting Penny and reminded her regularly of her lack of horn. And yesterday, Penny came out of the undergrowth into a clearing. There were her three friends talking together, and as she approached them, they all stopped their chatting and turned to her until Tina the Triceratops barked, Ho-ho! Look who it is! It's No Horn Penny! The two other dinosaurs sniggered at the jibe, but Penny ignored it and said, How are you, Tina? I haven't seen you all day. "'Haven't seen me?' said Tina. "'Haven't seen me? How can you not see me? "'It's not like you've got a horn to obscure your vision.' The three dinosaurs laughed loudly. But Tina, Tina wiping away her tears, Penny and said, "'How can you be so unkind? "'It's not my fault that I'm a Protoceratops. "'It's not my fault that my species doesn't have a horn. we are just made that way, that's all. "'I know I could wear a false horn.' They're all the rage with brontosaurs and Tyrannosaur's, but you'd still laugh at me, and you'd all know the truth. You're meant to be my friends, but instead all you ever do is make fun of me. And Penny burst into tears. Her little body shook with the sobbing. And Tina's mouth, well, it dropped open in amazement and at a sudden outburst, and many of the monoclonus giggled with embarrassment. They'd never seen Penny get so upset like this and they all began to feel guilty at making her cry. There, there, Minnie. There, there, sorry, Uh, Penny, said Minnie. Horns aren't that important, you know, Penny. Oh, yes, they are, said the third member of the group. It was Susie, the Styracosaurus. You're only saying that, Minnie, because you only have one horn and I have seven. No, I'm not, said Minnie. I may only have one horn, but my horn is a nose horn, and everyone knows that the nose horn is the most important horn on any dinosaur, because it's the first you see, and it's the most important. Ha! Ah, laughed Susie. You may have a nose horn, but it's not as impressive as my frill horns, and I have six, and I have a nose horn too. It's obvious to me who's the most beautiful, and it's certainly not you, Minnie. Ha! Yes, it is, said Minnie. No, it's not, said Susie. Yes, it is. And the two dinosaurs locked horns in disagreement. Cut it out, roared Tina, the biggest of the horned dinosaurs. Can't you see that Penny's upset? Well, who do you think is the most beautiful? said Minnie to, uh, with, with, with her friend. Well, that's obvious, said Tina. My horns are the biggest of all the horned dinosaurs. I'm a Triceratops. I may only have three horns, but they're the biggest of any of the dinosaur horns. And that makes me the most beautiful, because anyone who knows anything knows, the bigger the horn, the more beautiful the dinosaur. No, it's not, said Minnie. Anyone can see. It's not what number of horns you have or how big they are. It's where the horns are that's most important. You're both wrong, said Tina. Everyone knows the Triceratops is the biggest of the horned dinosaurs. And the three of them continued the argument about who was beautiful and whose horn was better, when suddenly, into the noise, came another voice. Oh, shut up, all of you! The three of them stopped in amazement. And we turned to look at the cause. It was Penny who continued, Why don't you just forget about horns and just be friends? Surely being a good friend is more important than where or how many horns you have. Why can't we all just be friends and accept each other the way we are? You're just saying that because you have no horn at all, sneered Tina. So you don't even count, said Susie. I know, said Minnie. We can set up this matter once and for all. Let's now go and talk to the king of the dinosaurs. He's bound to know the answer and tell us who is the most beautiful dinosaur of all." The dinosaurs all agreed. And together, all four of the horned dinosaurs trundled back into the forest and made their way to the swamps where the king of all the dinosaurs lived. Now, the king of all the dinosaurs was the biggest of all the dinosaurs that had ever lived, and his name was the Brachiosaurus. And the Brachiosaurus was huge. In fact, he stood 40 feet high and was 75 feet long. And he weighed a staggering 80 tons. That's heavier than 15 elephants. And all the other dinosaurs were small when they stood next to the king of the dinosaurs. The four horned dinosaurs, they came to the edge of a swamp and they stood there, a long snake head like. Head appeared above the water and towered over the forest. And his massive body began to merge out of a swamp until this enormous dinosaur cast a great shadow over the four horned dinosaurs. Do you want me? He said in a deep, soothing voice. <laughs> uh, yes, said Tina nervously. Me and my friends were wondering who is the most beautiful among the horned dinosaurs. We've been arguing about it for ages. So, who do you think it is? asked the king, looking at Tina the Triceratops well it's obvious to me your majesty, began Tina but size is the most important when it comes to beauty, and as I'm the biggest of the horned dinosaurs, therefore my horns are best and you, asked the king speaking to Minnie the monoclonus oh well oh king, said Minnie the nose horn is the most beautiful horn of all the dinosaurs. Therefore, the, where the horn is on the face is the most important, and my nose horn must make me the most beautiful of the dinosaurs. And you?" said the king, looking at Susie, the Styracosaurus. Oh well, O king, said Susie, anyone can see the number of horns you have is more, most important than the place of where the horns are. I have seven horns, and that must make me the most beautiful of all the horned dinosaurs. And you, said the king, finally looking at Penny, the Pachycephalosaurus. Me, your majesty? Me? I don't count, said Penny. You see, I'm a protoceratops. I don't even have one horn. I'm just small and, well, ugly. But I wish you could help us, oh king. You see, this argument spoils us and stops us being friends. If you could just solve this argument for us, we could all get on together. And the king lifted his huge head back up to his height of 40 odd feet. And he said, How small and silly your arguments look from up here. From where I'm standing, I can see none of the beauty of your horns, whether they're on your nose, or seven, or even big. But I can hear one voice that tells me who is the most beautiful among you all, said the king. Who is it? said Tina. Is it me? Is it me? said Susie. Is it me? said Minnie. It's none of you, said the king gravely. It's her. And he lifted one of his big legs and pointed at Penny, the Protoceratops. Her? said Tina. But she doesn't have a horn at all. And she's so small, cried Minnie. And she, she doesn't even count, said Susie. Then the king, looking patiently at the three grumbling dinosaurs, said, Beauty is not whether you have this or that on your face, the number or even the size of what you have. Beauty is what you can't see, but I can. It's the heart of the person that makes someone beautiful or ugly. And this little dinosaur just wants to love you and be loved, not to be better or more beautiful than you. She doesn't care about horns. All she cares about is you. And that is the way it should be. Don't look at the horn. But look at the heart to see the true beauty. Then the massive creature moved back into the water and slowly sank out of view. And from that day on, Penny didn't need to worry about not having a horn. For even the king of the dinosaurs said it didn't matter. It wasn't what's on the outside that made a dinosaur beautiful. But it was what was in their heart. Now I'm going to ask Amanda and Lottie to come up and bring our reading. Thank you.
1: The reading this morning is 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13.
0: The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate.
1: Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. He will not, We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah.
0: Thank you, Amanda and Lottie, thank you. Well, every now and again, we have a thing called an election, don't we? When we have an election, what do we hope to do? Any of the boys and girls tell me? What do we do during an election? What do we try and do? When we try and change government, what are we trying to do, what are we trying to get? Any, anyone, any idea? No? Any adults have any idea what we do during an election? <laughs> any adults? What are we trying to do when we have an election? Votes, yes, and what are we trying to get? A new leader we need trying to get a new leader that's right elections are a way in which we try and get a new leader (coughs) excuse me and that's exactly what the people of israel were trying to do and what samuel was involved in in the passage that was read for us earlier on by amanda and lottie they're looking for a new leader a new king and god sent the prophet samuel to meet with a chap called jesse Okay, the original Jesse, not Jesse James, long, long time before Jesse James. Jesse, you had eight sons. And he was asked, and God had said one of his sons was gonna become a new leader. And so Samuel was standing there and he was having the, the sons of Jesse parade in front of, front of him to try and work out just which one God was gonna to call to be the leader. Imagine that, having, you've been asked to, to come and meet this prophet and walk in front of him to see if you're the right person that God was gonna call to become the leader of Israel. I wonder if you were the person choosing the leader, what kind of qualities you'd be looking for? You know, this Europe during the um, late 1920s after the First World War, in Europe, a lot of nations were looking for new leaders. And they decided that they'd had lots of poor leaders that led them into a first ever world war and they wanted strong leaders And so they chose people who were very directive and very strong and knew their own minds, and we had leaders like this. Hitler and Benito Mussolini, both fascists, both very strong and direct in their leadership styles, but rather than leading the world away from another world war, it led us into another world war. So leaders are going to be the people that shout at us, or leaders, do we look for a leader to be kingly and have a kind of kingly demeanour, walk with grace? A bit like this person, the king of Zamunda. Anyone have seen the more, more recently, the, 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 um, the follow-up movie with Eddie Murphy as a king, the king of Zamunda. You know, someone who walks with dignity and grace, majestically, surely that will make a good leader, we think, perhaps. Or do we perhaps think the best person to become the next leader is someone that's very good at listening, has big ears, someone who can listen to what we're saying. Is that the best kind of leader? But perhaps doesn't have a view but just listens to us and, well, just listens. It's very hard, isn't it, knowing what qualities to choose in a leader. And as the sons of Jesse paraded before Samuel, Samuel was looking at the person. He was looking at the body. He was looking at the looks, he was looking at the manner, looking at the gait, he was looking at the way they behaved to try and make his decision. But God told Samuel that God doesn't do that. God isn't concerned with what a person looks like, rather like Penny the protoceratops. God isn't concerned about whether you have horns, seven, three, one, or any, or none, God isn't concerned with the outer person. When Samuel was looking at the sons, one of the sons came and went before him and Samuel said, surely, in verse 6, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. And then God said to Samuel this, he says, do not consider his appearance or his height, but I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. If you were to have a superpower like Superman, I wonder what superpower you would choose. I know one of my favorite superpowers is this one. X-ray vision. To see through things, to see through walls, to see through obstructions, to see what's really there. And God has a superpower. He has x-ray vision. And he is not concerned with what's on the outside. He's concerned with what's beating in here. What drives you? What makes you who you are? God looks at our heart. You know, that's really very precious. It's also very scary, isn't it? I find it very scary. Because God isn't put off by the smile. He's not put off by the clothes. He's not fooled by the way we can be nice sometimes, perhaps nice on Sundays, our, sun, our Sunday persona, our Sunday personality. God is concerned about that. God sees who we really are. You know, I was in the army, and I was talking to people about the world. They'd often, you know, they'd often complain with me and say how bad the world was and, you know, and what made the world a bad place. And they'd, they'd, they'd tell me the things that make the world a bad place. And I'd actually tell you, well, the reason the world is in such a bad state is because of human beings. And you know what? I'm one of them. And you're one of them. You know, the world hasn't got in the state it is because it's a blank canvas. It's because we've covered it in ourselves. We've painted it. And God sees our hearts. He doesn't see the outer person that we want to present. He sees who we really are. The Bible tells us, In Romans 3, verse 12, there is no one who does good, not even one. And then says in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are not good people. And when we recognize that, we can come to God and say, God, change me, make me a better person. But if you believe you're a good person, you're never going to ask that in that prayer because you think you're good enough. You know, if I compare myself to Jack the Ripper, old Cole may not be such a bad old bloke. Anyone can compare themselves to a mass murderer, to some really bad person, and say, "I'm not as bad as that person." But God doesn't say to say to us, "Are you as good as Jack the Ripper?" He says to you, "Are you as good as my Son? Are you like Jesus? Are you that good?" Because that's the standard, and Jesus died for us, for you, and for me. And if you're not as good as Him, then you're not good. That's the standard you've got to beat. He is the model. And when God sees our hearts, he sees that we're not perfect. But the great news is is that God loves us. And when we're honest and open and come to God and ask God to change us and to receive us and to forgive us, God does that. But we must never pretend with God because God doesn't see the outer clothing, he sees the heart. And the good news is it means he also knows when we're broken. And when we're damaged, like the, first, the little movie we saw earlier on, people broken by pain and by bereavement and by things that have gone on. You know, when we come into church and people say, how are you? We often say, oh, great, thank you. And really deep down inside, there's a big fracture in that heart of ours. That Our heart is bleeding, it's broken. It needs to be helped. And God sees who we really are. He sees deep down in the ear and... People, the Bible tells us that God who sees you as you really are, He loves you. And He wants to mend you and to heal you and make you the people that He wants you to be. You know, we can fall ourselves and we can fall others, but we can't fall God. So let's not try to. And in our prayers and our work with the Lord Jesus day by day, don't pretend to be something you're not. When you pray and talk to God, be honest and be real and say, Father, I'm not feeling too good or Father I'm feeling great but help me be better and when you struggle with someone who you don't get on with someone who really winds you up then say Father this person winds me up help me to love them and when you do something wrong don't pretend you haven't done something wrong and say Father I really screwed up there I really made a mistake forgive me let's be real before God because you cannot fool God he doesn't see the outer person he sees the heart he sees who you really are and he loves you. Let's not pretend. Let's be real before God. Let's not be fooled by the outer things. The things that don't matter, the horns. Let's not be fooled. That's not where true beauty lies. Some of the most beautiful people I've ever met are people who've got wonderfully beautiful hearts, who love others regardless, people working in the background. No one sees what they do, but they're always there doing kind things for people. That's happened a lot during this lockdown, hasn't it? There's been some people who've never been on the screen up here and never been on the stage up here, but have been going around helping people, getting shopping, checking on people, making sure they're okay, ringing them up, checking them out. People with big hearts who God sees. People, let's not fool God. God sees our hearts. He loves us. He knows who we are. Let's come before him Let's be real and let's learn to become truly beautiful.